If you have your Bibles, would you please journey with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 12. How many of you were here last week to hear the message that my wife, Pastor Terry, shared? Wasn't that a wonderful message? Well, my message today is just a continuation, a continuation of that message. And the message is entitled, The Legacy We Will Leave Behind. The Legacy We Will Leave Behind. Every one of us are going to leave a legacy in some manner. Every one of us. I am told that I've never seen them face to face, but I'm told I've heard Perry Stone say that in the catacombs in Rome, these catacombs are underground where many of the early Christians had to go because of the severity of the persecution upon their lives. I'm told that there are rows after rows of you can't find names and you can't find dates, but you can find this. Words that say this in the catacombs. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he said. The Bible tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 7, it says that if we uh, abide in him and his words abide in us, then we can ask whatsoever we will and it will be done unto us. But there's a twofold abiding process there. We've got to abide in him and he's got to abide in us. And as that happens, then God can do amazing things in our lives. The legacy we will leave behind. <clears throat> Billy Graham, how many of you know who I'm referring to when I say Billy Graham? Probably the greatest soul winner in our time. Billy Graham in his last book entitled Nearing Home wrote, I will soon celebrate my 93rd birthday. He is now 97, so he wrote that several years ago. And I quote Dr. Billy Graham, and he says, I know it won't be long before God calls me home to heaven. More than ever, I look forward to that day when the Lord calls me home because I know that finally all the burdens and sorrows that press down upon me at this stage of my life will soon be over. I continue to quote, During the last year, the physical ailments common to old age really have taken their toll on me. I also look forward to the day because I will be reunited with Ruth, my beloved wife for almost 64 years. You ever feel a sneeze coming on and it goes away? Who went home in 2007 to be with the Lord? I continue to quote Dr. Graham. Someday, our life's journey will be over. In a sense, we are all nearing home. I pray, Dr. Graham says, that you and I 
may not only learn what it means to grow older, but with God's help, also learn to grow older with grace and find the guidance needed to finish well. Is it your desire to finish well? Is it your desire to live, to leave a godly legacy? This is again a good reminder for all of us that this, that this is not our home. Do you understand? This is not our home. You and I, we are not going to live forever in these earthen vessels. We're going to lay them down at some point. And, all of, and as all of you know, and I am keenly aware, death is no respecter of age. We are all going to be called at some point. The psalmist David prayed to the Lord in Psalms 90, verse 12, and he said, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There are many people who are not ready to think about the number of days that they have left in their lives. They, they think that they will live forever. I, I remember when I was um, 18, about 85 years ago, I was a... Uh, Seems like it was a long time ago. When I was 18, I thought I was indestructible. I was a good athlete in high school. I was a quarterback for the varsity football team, and I was, I was extremely, extremely athletic. I thought I was indestructible. How many of you felt that way at some point in your life? How many of you can remember when you were 18? How many of you were telling the truth when you raised your hand? <laughs> to think that we're going to live forever in this life, it's, that's a wrong thought because it's not true. We will not live forever in this life. Our soul will live forever, but not our physical body. Anybody have any aches and pains getting out of bed this morning? Well, I thought somebody was going to run the aisle over that one. I thought you were going to get really excited. <laughs> that is why it is wise to realize that our years are limited to this earth, and someday, if you're a child of God, God will call you home. And so we are advised to gain a heart of godly wisdom and leave behind a good memory or a good legacy for others to remember us by. And so... I ask this question today for us. What legacy are you going to leave behind? It was said that the former Philippine president, Marcos, many years before he died, was very much concerned about how he would be remembered by his fellow Filipinos before he died, and he did everything possible to leave a mark even to the point of creating a big facial bust of his head and face made of 30 meters concrete to be put in Mount Pugo in the Philippines. But we all know that all of his past accomplishments have been overshadowed by his dictatorial spirit and created a backlash for the Filipino people that they began 
to hate his legacy. Many years ago, there were those who got a hold of the 30-meter bust that he had made of himself, and they blew it apart and destroyed it. It was actually destroyed in December of 2002. Such a waste of money and effort. Even after many years, uh, after many years of his death, there is even a great rejection for his remains to still be buried in the Philippines. People don't want him buried there because they despised him because of his brutality. And that is the legacy that they remember him as. You see, we leave behind not monuments of stone, but lasting memories in the hearts and minds of people we associate with. And that legacy is developed by the way we interact and associate with other people. I call it our sphere of influence. Here today in the verses that we're going to read, we find Samuel, the great man of God, the great prophet of God, about to retire from the more active duties of his office as prophet and judge of Israel. He has served Israel all of his life. And so, before he will finally retire in public, he wanted to find out what kind of legacy they will remember him by. How did they look at his past performance before their very eyes? And so, one day, he stood before the people and opened his life to be scrutinized so that he will know what they think about him. He knew that he had faithfully served the Lord in the temple and had been obedient to God's voice all of his life. He knew that. He calls God, hear this, Samuel calls God to be his witness that he has a clear conscience before all the people. I wonder if you too can look back at your life right now and you can say that your conscience is clear that you have served the Lord faithfully as well as these years. Did you fulfill your responsibilities properly? Are there any misgivings at all in your part of your life? Some people have been so preoccupied building their careers, working on their dream homes, so that they can enjoy all of that in their twilight years. Others spend all their energies in things that will not last for eternity. You've heard me make this statement if you've heard me speak for any length of time, and the statement is simply this, only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. But regardless of what you do, I hope and pray that when you stand before God that your conscience will be clear. As you reflect on your life and look back at the past, you can rightfully smile and be grateful to the Lord for the many opportunities that you've had to serve him. And I cannot tell you how thankful I am that for over four decades now in my life, I've had the privilege to serve Jesus Christ. I accepted him as a 12-year-old boy um, growing up in Riverview, Michigan, not too far from here. And I can tell you, it's not just words in a song. God has been good to me. 
And I thank him for his goodness. And I thank him for his faithfulness in my life. I'm thankful that as a 17-year-old teenager in the building next door, he filled me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then, knowing all things, 38 years later, he sends me back and gives me the divine appointment to come and serve as the lead pastor here at Victorious Life Church of God. I can tell you today, standing behind this sacred desk, that God is good. And I have every intention of serving him Faithfully, I have every intention of letting my heart live for him every day so that my children and my grandchildren will know that the plaque that hangs in our home that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that it's not just a plaque, but it was a lifestyle of dad and grandpa. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen to the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's begin uh, the legacy we will leave behind. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and smile and ask him this question. What type of legacy will you leave behind? Number one, a life of godly integrity. That's what Samuel was leaving them. A life of godly integrity. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray. I feel like I'm reading about myself here. <laughs> And my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. He's standing before the people. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. And then he asked, Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you. And also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hands. He is witness, they said. God is witness. For Samuel chapter 12 is actually a farewell speech of Samuel to Israel. He was about to retire and so he stood before them and like a book, he opened himself for people to examine and evaluate his life. He wanted to know what kind of integrity he built over the years of faithful service to God and to the people. He told them that he listened to everything they requested from him and to do even if it was difficult such as giving them a king as their new leader. He had served them faithfully since he was young until he became old, and 
His hairs are now gray. He stood before them and his conscience was clear. There was nothing on the marker board that said, well, you did this wrong and you did this wrong and you cheated us this way or you've taken this from us and you've done that, you've done this. Nothing! His conscience is clear. He lived a life of integrity. That's how I want to live my life. Because integrity deals with the aspect of, uh, and many of you have heard me say this before, uh, what you do when no one is around, when you're all by yourself, when you are all by yourself and no one is around, what you think about, the things that you read, the things that you watch, that's who you really are. Number two, he shared words of encouragement. If you'd go with me, uh, verses 6 through 15. He shared words of encouragement. Now, now, now remember now, this is a guy that's about to take a back seat and sort of step out of the picture eventually, and they have chosen a king. They wanted a king over them except for him. The king is to replace him. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here. Because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the land of Sisera the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Asteroths. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Wow. Then the Lord sent Jerubal, Barak, Zephoth, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Amorites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. That's what Pastor Terry was sharing in her message last week about obedience. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. They forgot. They wanted a physical king. They forgot that Jehovah God was their king. My church family, we cannot forget that this is the Lord's church. This is not Gary Barton's church. Victorious life belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that he would build it and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that mean, Pastor Gary? Well, that means that if we remain obedient to the Lord, the devil can huff and puff all he wants.
response, but the walls will not come tumbling down because the Lord of glory, the great King of kings, is building his church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to remind you of something today that's so simplistic, so simplistic, but yet we forget about it. And it's simply this. The devil is already a defeated foe. Stop giving him so much credit. He is already a defeated foe. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, because greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 13, that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Hallelujah! That's his promises. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. Verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. Everybody say good. But, the word but always means a contrast is coming. But, verse 15, if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. I don't know about you, my church family, but I don't want the Lord's hand against me. I want the favor of the Lord God upon me. And he promises his favor to all that are faithful to him, to all that trust in him. He promises his favor. So when I go to bed at night, uh, I know that my heart and, uh, is clear before the Lord. My conscience is clear before the Lord. And I've done right in his sight because I don't have control over the beats of my heart. And my heart could stop beating during the night and I could slip out into eternity. And I declare to you today that my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I will not look to the left. I will not look to the right. But the Bible says, well, look up. Hallelujah. Look up because your help comes from the Lord. Lord. Amen and amen to the wonderful promises of our God and of our King. Praise the name of the Lord. Number three, I'd like for our musicians and praise team, if they would come back at this time, please. Number three. This is one of my more lengthier messages. You may be sitting there thinking, wow, well, Pastor Gary, you haven't preached very long. Well, I'm trying to go through it as quickly as I can um, and deal with the meat of it. Um, I say it's one of my lengthier messages. Many of you know that um, I don't see very good up close, so I have to use large font. And I, I have, I'm, I'm serious, I have, I have 56 pages of notes here. I can hear you right now. Thank you, Pastor Gary. <laughs> then Solomon, Samuel, Samuel shared words of assurance. Samuel shared words of assurance. Verse 16. Now then, stand still 
and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before you, before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. Then Samuel called on the Lord and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel said. Oh, I, I, love, I love those words. I love those words. Do not be afraid. How many times have I shared with you in the messages that I've shared with you in the last several years how that the Lord, again, especially in the New Testament, said again and again and again, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Remember in Mark chapter 5 as he was speaking to Jairus, telling him that he would come to his house and then word came to Jairus, we don't need to bother the, the teacher, the master anymore because, because your daughter is dead. And this father's heart just drops. Your daughter is dead. But there in Mark chapter 5, we find where Jesus says, Jesus doesn't preach him a sermon. Jesus doesn't lay out a theological thesis before him. He just simply says these words as he turns and looks at Jairus. He looks at his eyes and he says, Do not be afraid, only believe. And that's what God wants us to be that kind of people. As we live our lives and the legacy that we will leave behind, we don't have to be afraid if we are walking in the Lord Jesus Christ because you see, Jesus knew what he was going to do when he arrived at Jairus' house. He knew that the little girl had already died. He knew that. He also knew when he walked into the house that day, and Sister Jairus, I'm sure, was there and approaching a canatonic state of depression. Tears of sorrow and pain and agony because their 12-year-old daughter was gone. But the Word steps into the room and speaks the Word. Did you hear that? But the Word steps into the room and speaks the Word. He allows Peter, James, and John to accompany him into the house. He gives the command to close the door of the house because there's doubt and belief on the outside. Jesus walks into the room and he speaks in his Aramaic language and he says unto her, Talitha kumai, which being interpreted means little girl, I say unto you, arise. And the Bible says that she opened up her eyes and she sat up and she was alive. Why? Because the king entered the room. Hallelujah! And the word spoke the word. Hallelujah to the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lord. Mm. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, 
the Lord will not reject his people. Even though they had messed up again and again and again and again and again. Sounds like us, doesn't it? He still would not reject his people. That's why he tells us if we will come and we will confess our sins before him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what his word says. Hallelujah. Because the Lord was pleased to make you his people. Did you know that? If you are a child of God today, did you know it pleased the Lord for his son to hang on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, so that you and I might have the hope of eternal life. It pleased the Lord to make us his people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord, Samuel is saying, by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Consider what great things the Lord has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, you both and your king will perish. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. There was a story of a couple, a husband and wife, who had been married for 50 years. Things, things have really changed, she said. You used to sit very close to me. Well, I can remedy that, he said, moving next to her on the couch. And you used to hold me tight. How's that, he asked as he gave her a big hug. Do you remember you used to nudge my neck and nibble on my earlobes? He jumped to his feet and left the room. Where are you going? I'll be right back, he said. I've got to get my teeth. We all need words of assurance that in spite of everything, such as our old age, all will be well. All will be well. Samuel called upon the Lord. God responded in a wonderful way before the people. Hallelujah to his wonderful name. I'm going to close my message with this story, and then we're going to worship the Lord, giving of our tithes and then of our first fruits and the miracle offering today. Let me end with this story of a husband and a wife who walked by faith and consequently left a legacy far beyond anything, anything that they ever imagined. They lived in the early 1700s in colonial America. Their names were Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. Jonathan Edwards felt God's call to become a minister. He and his young bride began a pastorate in a small congregation. During the years that followed, he wrote many sermons, prayers, and books and was influential in beginning the great awakening in the United States of America that swept the country. Together, 
they produced, Edward and Sarah, they produced 11 children who grew into adulthood. Sarah was a partner in her husband's ministry and he sought her advice regarding sermons and church matters. They spent time talking about these things together and when their children were old enough, the parents included them in their discussions. The effects of the Edwards' lives have been far-reaching. But the most measurable results of their faithfulness to God's call is found through their descendants, their legacy. Elizabeth Dodd's records, a study done by A.E. Winsip in 1900, in which he lists a few of the accomplishments, a few of the accomplishments of the 1,400 Edwards descendants that he was able to find. And now I quote history. 100 lawyers and a dean of law school. 80 holders of public office. 66 physicians and a dean of a medical school. 65 professors of colleges and universities. 30 judges. 13 college presidents. Three mayors of large cities. Three governors of states. Three United States senators one controller of the United States Treasury, one vice president of the United States of America. One of the most famous quotes of Jonathan Edwards is this, Resolution 1, I will live for God. Resolution 2, if no one else does, I still will. What kind of legacy will you leave behind? Wow. Will it be lasting? Will it be imperishable and eternal? Or will you leave behind only tangible items, buildings, money, and or possessions? What kind of legacy will you leave behind? Shall we pray? Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for allowing me the privilege one more time to be able to share your glorious gospel. There's power and authority in the Word of God. And Lord, I pray right now that if there is one here that is listening to my voice, that has not yet made the decision to accept you as Lord in Christ, I pray that right now that they will realize their need for salvation. That they will realize that they cannot save themselves. That's an impossibility. And I pray right now that they will trust in you to become their Lord and their Savior. If I've just described you I invite you, while our heads are bowed, believers are praying, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me that I have prayed thousands of times down through the years. Dear Jesus, 
I realize that I am a sinner, that I cannot save myself. And as I am here today in your house, I realize that I need you. And not only do I need you, I want you in my life. I am sorry for my sins. Truly sorry. Will you please forgive me of my sins? I open my heart and I invite you to come in at this moment. Please become my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you right now. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that right now that I am forgiven and that I am saved and that I have the hope of heaven right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me where the heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, would you hold your hand up real high so that I can see? Thank you. Thank you for these hands. Thank you for these hands that are going up. Wow, all over the building. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, if you would, you can go ahead and lift your heads and open your eyes. I would like for you, if you would right now, to go ahead and get your offerings ready. Go ahead and get your tithes ready. Go ahead and get your first fruits offering ready. I've got mine ready right here, right here. I would like for our ushers, if you would come, position yourselves here in front and face the congregation. Just like in the nine o'clock service, I'm going to invite everyone to come to bring your tithes and bring your offerings, bring your first fruits. Your first fruits, remember, you're giving your very best. You're not giving a token. You're giving the very best offering that you can unto the Lord in your first fruits offering today. Hallelujah. Brothers, if y'all would just go ahead and spread yourselves out a little bit, spread yourselves out. If you don't have anything to give, if you don't have your first fruits ready to give, if the Lord delays his coming, bring it next week. If you don't have it next week, bring it the week after. Bring it as soon as you can. Would you come right now all over the building? If you don't have anything to bring, come and shake my hand and hug my neck.